Welcome back, listeners, to the BDU podcast. We have all four of our co-hosts this week. Big, I may emphasize, Big Jack is back. How did it go, Big Dog? Yeah, it's good. I think maybe I finally earned the nickname Big Jack after my time on holiday. And how was Kuwait? I mean, Cyprus. Yeah, it was It was good. I mean, I can't really hide anything from you guys, obviously. Mm. That's why I'm strategically wearing this jumper as well, potentially. Hides hides the neck or the or the lack of neck now that the traps are so big. Have you have you hit up a session since coming back? Surely that was the first thing you did. You would have landed, he would have pre-workout cream of wheat, 50 <laughs> grams of fiber, and off he went. He was charging. No, you know, I did actually make a, a few dollars on the cement that I bought to Kuwait because cement demands are actually quite high over there. So I sacrificed mm. it. Didn't have it in my shake and instead I sold it to, to um actually paid off the holiday it was in that that high in demand the holiday and and everything else as well that comes with kuwait Mm. yeah (laughs) um have you trained yet since being back because you've only been back like literally 24 hours haven't you yeah less i i got back in at like 7 a.m this morning so i've i've shopped i got the dogs and unpacked and now i'm with you guys on this podcast so not yeah. even a training session yet. No, I, well, I was going to train, but then this this podcast takes precedence, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, 100%. If you miss this, you just wouldn't want it bad enough. Yeah. Exactly. Mm, we just made you feel so bad in the chat. You're like, oh, shit, I got to jump on. Mm. No, but <laughs> you talk it, me for another hour if I don't jump on. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> had it all lined never... up too, didn't we, Lawrence? We had it all lined up. It was just a roasting. And then he goes, no, nah, you know what? I'll be on today. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I knew there was some roasting that was going to happen for sure. So, but honestly, I I wouldn't, I, getting in, into the gym was no part of today under any circumstance just because of, like I alluded to it on Instagram, but the, it was pretty uh, crazy the amount of travel we had to do to get back. Um, I think it was like 55-ish hours in total, like Cyprus oh. to... Uh, London Gatwick and then we had to travel from Gatwick to Heathrow because they're two different airports and then we had a 12 12 hour layover in Heathrow then we had a nine hour flight to Vancouver and then an eight hour eight hour layover in Vancouver and then a 13 and a half hour flight to Brisbane so good lord yeah and I'm not the sort of person who can sleep on flight so that was uh it was um let's just say I'm glad to be home how much cheaper did it make it with about 50 hours worth of layover? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know. I want to know how much money you saved. He actually got money back. <laughs> yeah, they actually paid him. Yeah, because you, you help fill out the airports, like you buy the airport food and um, pretty ridiculous though how expensive airport food is. But yeah, I think we um we saved some money through that uh, all-you-can-eat sushi, which was good. <laughs> Surprisingly good for all-you-can-eat. I had to tackle it. Did you ever wonder if the stiff, stiff-legged deadlift missed you? Uh, I, I knew there was something going on, yeah, between me and the stiff-legged deadlift. So, I'll uh, wasn't so stiff anymore. <laughs> no, it turned into more of an RDL. Yeah. Uh, bent bar, nice. All right. No, no roasting from you, Lawrence. Quiet, Mike. He was all talking Mate, I, to Jim today. He said he was going to class so you. And he just, yeah. Genuinely, you're so much up. prepared, but I just can't help but my happiness is just overwhelming. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm just so pleased to see his face in the top left of my screen once again. It just feels like you know all of our chakras have been balanced out. You know, 
Venus is back in retrograde. All is right in the world when all of us are on the BDU podcast. So mm. yeah, mate, it's um, it's all just smiles from me. I'm happy today. Very nice. All right. One thing well, I will touch on, um, like more so about the maybe to provide some value from the holiday because maybe some listeners would be interested how I undertook like training and nutrition. And I think the major point I'll just touch on is the physique side of things because like a lot of people probably would go on holiday for like two or three weeks. Maybe you experienced this as well, DY, on your longer holiday, but your physique does kind of change fairly rapidly when you don't have the same food and you don't um, do as many training sessions. Like I noticed my physique flattened out very quickly. I wasn't wasn't kind of over analyzing my physique by any means, but I think just uh, less frequent training and my carb intake was probably like half the normal amount of carbs and my fat was way higher. I think that probably contributed to just a, um, a dis- some disillusion in regards to like, oh, have I lost muscle when obviously I know I haven't lost muscle, um, maybe a tiny amount, but not nothing that would probably be noticeable in the mirror truly. Um, so I think people who maybe aren't as familiar with those sort of behind the scenes factors, like it's important to realize that um, those sorts of variables around training and nutrition might give the illusion that you've lost muscle, but it's, uh, it requires a longer amount of time than that to yeah. lose a meaningful amount. 100%. You make a very good point. I remember when I went over there, like visually the changes happen so quickly. Like every yeah. day you like someone get like, I guess like a touch softer, you know, the protein's a little bit different, but realistically you're not going to be losing heaps and heaps of mass. It just, it just isn't going to happen. Mm. Um, and then mm. you'll probably find as soon as you get back in the gym for that first week, you know, you're getting 90% of your strength back. Visually, you're looking a lot better, especially when you compare yourself from the holiday within t- two weeks, you know, of ticking the boxes, um, you're pretty much looking visually a lot better. It's hard when you go from like 90 to a hundred percent, like what you would have. And then, you know, you put the brakes on for a couple of weeks, have that well-needed break where you may be operating at 30 to 40%. Obviously that's going to have like a decent little bit of repercussion on your physique visually, but in, yeah. in the end, it's only a short term period. Yeah. It was, it was definitely very nice to eat intuitively though. Like I did lose about two to three kilos but I think that was mainly because of like loss of inflammation, loss of water retention from lower carbohydrates. But I had a great time not tracking. And it even kind of makes me think, hmm, is it worthwhile not tracking in the off season or like incorporating periods of of less stringent tracking, which uh, may, I may or may not do. I probably won't do it knowing my personality, but I, I'm, I'm very close to 100% confident that I could intuitively eat and and still do what i need to do with nutrition quite comfortably i think only people who i guess have good intuition i mean that's the that's the focal point there right is like the concept of intuitive eating you need to have good intuition to be able to especially if, if there's an integration between you know performance nutrition and like lifestyle nutrition because i think if there's no tracking in place or accountability it's probably quite easy to start leaning a little bit more towards lifestyle nutrition which, you know, as an athlete that has very distinctive goals in mind, there's, there's greater considerations to, to, to you know, there's the considerations to think about as an athlete that I guess your general population would not be too fussed about. So for someone like you, yourself who has good, good intuition with nutrition, you, you could probably implement that. But I would say a vast majority of people would, wouldn't be able yeah. to do that well. Yeah, I agree. Plus, like I'm, I'm in a very easy 
mode at the moment, like just trying to maintain my appetite's in a good spot. So arguably when I hit that wall, probably closer to 92 kilos, like that's probably when I would definitely need to start tracking to see continued progression. Mm. I also think there's a big psychological component to taking time off, like, and feeling like you're, you've gone soft. And I mean, think about an instance where you might've missed a training session for whatever reason, maybe being sick or something like that. And you instantly feel as though your body composition has changed. And it's unlikely that missing a single session or in, in the in the grand scheme of things, taking a week or two off training, like you're going to see that vast of a difference in your body composition. It, there's probably a huge psychological component there where you just feel flat. You feel yeah. shit because you haven't gotten in. You haven't gotten a pump for a while. Uh, and, you know, according to, to Arnie, getting a pump is as good as coming. So, you know, clearly, clearly there's something to say about that, right? Yeah. Pretty much Jack didn't come for about three weeks then. No pump. <laughs> He's dry. He needs to get that man in the gym. Did you find it hard mentally, even being like, you know, so advanced yourself, Jack, like having like three weeks off or was it actually like somewhat good? Or do you like, were you like second guessing yourself sometimes missing it? Well, I, I didn't have it completely off. Like I got in on average two sessions a week, but the, the, the quality of those sessions weren't as high as they would usually be mentally. I was, I was fine with it because I know I'm going to get back into routine straight away. Maybe a, a tiny bit of trepidation around like um, just being towards the end of my off season in terms of the grand scheme of things and wanting to max and also seeing like the, the IMBA world held in, in the UK uh, this past weekend, like that kind of just made me keen to get back. Like I'm very glad to be back, which is always nice. I think what's not nice after your holiday is getting back and then wishing you were still on holiday. So I'm really glad that, one, I enjoy where I live, but also I enjoy my routine so that I can uh, actually look forward to being back. Actually, speaking of being back and getting into routine, what is the plan from now? Like, you know, you pretty much had like three weeks off. Are you going to take it a little bit easier for the first couple of weeks? Do you do yourself back in there? Do you have a new program lined up or what, what's the plan? Yeah, Tara and I have been umming and ahhing about switching to rigs 100% of the time, but I think... I'll for the time being I'll probably still train at Brendale for two sessions a week and then three sessions at Riggs but the pro this yeah the program isn't really going to change I think it's I'll have the remainder of this week just to ease back into it and treat this as more intuitive and then yeah the normal programming will start from Monday um, and I think I'll be fine in terms of soreness because I was fine while I was over overseas with soreness yeah very nice yeah. All right, let's jump into some of these uh, listener questions. Enough interrogating Jack on his holiday. DC, how do you manage getting sick in these colder colder winter months? Yeah, so I mean, I guess when you're sick, the main priority is just to simply recover. And I know a lot of individuals who would, would still go to the gym whilst whilst they're sick. And I think being sick is is not necessarily sort of a black and white. I think obviously there's a spectrum of how how sick you are. I mean, there's some people who get a bit of a minor cold and, you know, perhaps they're still able to continue training, whether that's the appropriate thing to do, it might be contagious and potentially getting some other people sick around you. But I think the priority is simply to focus on recovery. So, you know, sometimes I guess you need to cop it on the chin and take, take a session off because if it's not going to be a productive session and you're only just going to prolong how long you're actually sick for, well, then you're not really doing 
you're not really approaching it with the, I guess, recovery as, as the primary mindset. So often my recommendation for like a lot of athletes who get sick is, do you feel as though your, your session is going to be productive if you get in and train? And if the answer is no, then it's all right, take, take that session off. Like we need to perhaps reduce training frequency this week just to simply focus on, on, on getting recovered. And let's focus on the lowest hanging fruit. So adequate sleep, adequate hydration, getting in sufficient calories. No, no, don't rip your calories down just because you're not burning as much through the course of a higher tra- training frequency. You know, I would argue that you need adequate recover, uh, adequate nutrition to, to recover during a time in which, you, in which you're sick. So there's no point in, you know, vastly adjusting uh, calorie intake as a, as a response to that. But I think the main thing is like, we need, just need to recover. So let's just focus on, on that. If we need to take a training session off, it's, it's not, not, a, not a point to stress about. Yeah, I like that one because a lot of people tend to, when they do get unwell, their nutrition lacks because their training does. They might have to have a couple of days off and then psychologically, well, they're like, well, I'm taking it easier in terms of training. So I'm going to take it easier in terms of nutrition as well. So the nutritional quality seems to go down, lack of calories. And if they are consuming the calories, they tend to be poor. So like one of the recommendations I give is like, you know, trying to stay somewhat like what you said, DC, around the ballpark of the calories that you're already eating. Like, you know, ensure that micronutrients are also decent in there. Just because you're unwell doesn't mean that your diet goes completely out the window. It could be one of the things that is going to get you back in the gym quicker is actually having sufficient calories and nutrients. So that's one thing that, um, and are there any other ones, Jack, in terms of nutrition? Uh, no, I, I would say with nutrition, it's more so about the, preventing getting sick as opposed to curing being sick. Like that's what medicine is for is to like help cure your sickness, whatever it may be. But nutrition is more so, for example, like avoiding deficiencies in in certain micronutrients, which might increase your susceptibility to getting sick. But I would also say don't, don't catastrophize getting sick either. Some people, they might get a cold and be like, okay, I have to take this whole week off training. Whereas as long as you're not going to give it to anyone, like, like maybe miss a session if you really have to but how how many times have we trained through a cold and been completely fine like numerous times yeah i asked that one today because i was sick and i was sitting there i was like would i would i take the day off today i was like scratching my head but it, it wasn't serious enough to completely affect the session it was only serious enough to affect lawrence so i couldn't give him any hugs normally he always gives me a hug and a kiss on the cheek so i had to pull back because i didn't want to sabotage his prep I was absolutely devastated to say the least. Yeah. Knew it would have been the highlight. All right. Um, this one's for you, Lawrence. Best advice for a first time competitor. Oh, I think there's so many that we could go through there. So I'll just pick one and some of you boys I'm sure will have your own bits of advice as well. I'd probably say like as a as a first off, you know, if we're considering the the very start of prep would be like, you know, give yourself enough time. I think everyone's always surprised when they first do that, you know, first prep, they die down and, you know, chances are they probably think their stage weight is going to be five, six kilos heavier than it actually is going to end up being. Like I remember when I was doing my first prep, I, I couldn't believe how light I got. And I was like, damn, dude, like I thought I was way bigger than this, but it is a, an interesting sort of uh, check of your ego when you realize you know, that you don't actually have that much muscle, which is unfortunate. But yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing is like, give yourself enough time, make sure that you and your coach have, have spent a bit of time establishing very good habits and a, and a good base in the improvement season and the off season. 
And, you know, chances are if you're a first timer, your stage weight is probably going to be like five kilos, whether you're less than whatever you think it's going to be. So just prepare for that emotionally. It's funny when you say that, because I remember when I started prep, it might've been like 84, 85 kilos in arcs. I was like, like halfway through it, I was like, so what do you reckon I'll end up at? Like 75 kgs? And he goes, oh, probably about 68. And I was like, what? I was like, I couldn't even believe there was going to be a six in front. I like nearly had a heart attack. I was like, but also then just realized how much more digging I would have to do to get down to that level of body fat. Um, yeah, especially in this I, day and age compared to like 10 years ago because mm. everyone's coming in leaner now. 10 years ago, I could have been 80. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my one would probably have to be, I reckon, don't be afraid to work with a coach like way before you actually decide to do a prep. I think that's going to be very big part of you having a successful season is working with a coach like at least half a year prior get like the fundamentals in place before you actually embark on the prep uh and it'll, i've never seen someone work with a coach for half a year beforehand and look worse than what they would have if they had come to the coach at 18 weeks out so uh set yourself up for success before it even starts mm. what's yours jack yeah mine would just be similar to yours um the only to throw something onto that would be with your coach, like make sure that you are incorporating a pre-prep phase, especially if you are a first-time competitor to, to kind of tick those boxes that will be needed during prep and also especially with body comp, which kind of relates to Lawrence's point as well. Got any throw in there, DC? Yeah, I, I would say focus, like put your focus towards yourself and not towards others because I think a lot of, a lot of competitors, and this is not even just first timers, but a lot of competitors can get in their own head with regards to where others are at within their prep. You know, maybe they're a touch leaner. Maybe they're still still talking about how great their sleep is on social media and your sleep might just not be ideal. And, and you start to just get in your own head. Like you see someone post up their refeed meal. You're like, hang on, I don't have a refeed or perhaps I've only got one refeed in place. Why does this person have two? hang on, this person's having a diet break right now. They're 12 weeks out. I'm digging right now. Like this is all, these are all sounds things. Like Lawrence think, from... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, this sounds like a things... personal attack. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly right. Like this person's eating like sugar-free jellies every day. Like I don't even get to eat them. What's going on here? <laughs> so I think it's, it's one of those things where you need to just focus primarily on yourself. And if that means... I don't know if that means like hiding someone else's stories on social media, that is a trigger for you. Then perhaps you need to do that. Perhaps you need to spend less time comparing yourself to others on social media, being less of a consumer uh, of that. It might give you a little bit more clarity with regards to where you're at. Um, I also think I'm not going to say having have realistic expectations, but I think as a first time competitor, your primary focus needs to be on just bringing your best. Like you don't know who you're going to be stepping on stage against. I mean, the likeliness of walking away with, you know, a world title or something insane is, is extremely low. And that's not to detract anyone from, you know, focusing on stage placings, but don't, don't, don't put your, your sole predictor of whether it's a good season or not as to whether you walk away with an overalls or a pro card or something like that, because I mean, 99.9% .9 of competitors will not achieve that in their first season ever. So it's it's important that you're able to take more away from that as a, as a competitor. The experience, the fact that you could take yourself through 
an extensively difficult period of time, six months of a contest prep. Not everybody can do a contest prep successfully, which is an achievement in itself. So have other predictors of success outside of stage placings, which are, yes, they are very important. And we don't do it just to simply get on stage and experience it. Like we all want to win at the end of the day. But I think there needs to be both extrinsic and intrinsic reasons as to why you jump on stage and what's going to allow you to be able to walk away from it and feel that sense of like self-actualization and self-esteem from it. Yeah. You make some very good points there, especially like with the comparisons to people's preps, like everyone is so different. People will be sitting there comparing macros. Every coach has a different approach as well to the tactics that they might use for the prep. And then in the end, they pretty much come in nearly as good as what they're going to come in anyway regardless of like who they're comparing themselves to. And then like, you know, they'll be comparing someone to six point six foot one and then they'll be sitting there at five foot two. It's like yeah. so much. Body in, yeah, exactly. And there'll be so much individual um, variability between them. All right, Lawrence, what's one of your anabolic cereals right now? Mm, well, what's the anabolic cereal of choice for yourself? And then these other boys can throw in one of theirs. If we're going for right now, I'm going to say... Milo cereal. None of this high protein nonsense, just the classic Milo cereal. What about the Milo duo? Ooh. The duo is goaded as well, to be fair, but I'm just not having it. I think they're pretty much the exact same with regard to calories and stuff. But the only thing is, if you're, of course, being optimal and you're tracking properly, then you need to count out the white and the brown duo. But I mean, <laughs> all of us should be doing that anyway. Yeah. So that sort of goes without saying, um, because if you get that ratio wrong, then all of a sudden what you've tracked it as is is no longer relevant. So yeah, it, normally what I would say is like, if you see someone get on stage and they're not quite in, you know, good enough condition, it's probably because they had a sort of 60, 40 ratio for the Milo duo. Mm. If the glutes aren't boxed off enough, you know exactly what's happened. They're running that 60, 40. I actually saw Lawrence at the gym the other day and he was literally just counting it. He had like a little Ziploc bag and he was just counting every piece just so he knew that he had it 100% even. It's a perfect between set activity. Because otherwise one bum cheek is going to be more shredded than the other and then absolutely fucking chaotic. Can't have that. What about you, DC? What's your cereal of choice? Absolute goated, number one. Um, I would say, I'd probably say neutral grain. Yeah, I'm a fan. I like it. Just because it's a little bit higher in protein, I feel like it's uh, it's always a, a go-to for me if I'm running a bit low with regards to carbs. It, it'll usually be something I'll, I'll push in. So, But I've actually been enjoying Wheat Bix at the moment. I've been off Wheat Bix for a while. I've like got them back in rotation, doing the whole overnight soak, and it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's cold. It's so cold lately, right? Lately, right? So after I've eaten, I'm like shivering. <laughs> yeah. But maybe it's not a good winter, winter choice at this point. Well, what's your overnight wheat bix of choice um usually i'll just do like wheat bix with some skim milk then i'll put like protein powder in it uh ghost which is actually not bad it's actually not bad i'm usually not a huge fan yeah. of protein powder usually they mostly taste like shit but yeah. ghost is actually pretty good um and then i'll usually put like yogurt over the top frozen blueberries and then a little bit of like uh, peanut butter and nutella or something like that Very just nice. you know that's basically cream of wheat Staples. right yeah <laughs> Cream of wheat. Is that yeah. Bix. Cream of wheat Bix. Cream of wheat Bix. Yeah. Nice. What I'm do you think Jack? What do you think Jack's would be DC? Like it would have to be like. It would have to be Metamucil based on the last yeah. couple of episodes. It would just be straight William husk, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what is it though, Jack? What's your, what's your cereal? 
No, it would have it would be Milo cereal. That's I've literally had that for probably the last three years, almost every day. Yeah. I think if I had to pick one, it would probably be cinnamon toast crunch. I reckon that one's probably like one of the best cereals. But now if we're talking actual uh applicability within Australia, it would probably have to be Milo because otherwise you're paying like ten dollars plus a box for the for the uh cinnamon toast crunch. Mm. I find that those like really highly palatable ones, they, if you're having cereal every day, it just gets a bit too much, especially in the off season, like in prep, anything tastes good, but I wouldn't be able to have something like Cocoa Pops or Cinnamon Toast Crunch mm. or stuff like that. Yeah. What about I the, was running, uh, what about the cereal choice? Whoops, sorry. No, you go, you go, you go. <laughs> oh no, I was just going to say that I, I do agree with that. I was running the the Cocoa Pops like almost every day for months in prep and then like you get to the point where like i honestly couldn't stomach it yeah what about the cereal of choice when you guys were were a kid what was the uh what was what was what was the cereal you guys were chugging down while you were watching cheese tv that was grain for me probably fruit loops or something would it have to be yeah Yeah, yeah i think for me it was like cocoa pops or yeah probably cocoa pops to be honest yeah cocoa pops does seem a little bit more popular surely you brought home some cereal from the u.s jack while you're over there unfortunately not no i didn't have any luggage space uh yeah no. the because of all the cereal that. that they already packed from australia <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the cement oh, bags we, we, we tried to get down. like a little souvenir in each country that we went to so we uh I don't really need to tell this actually, but I will anyway, because I've started, I've committed. So in, uh, in Oxford, we got like this, because we have this little shelf in our house, which we're going to kind of dedicate to traveling knickknack things. And um, in Oxford, we bought this kind of uh, souvenir plate, which has like a list of all the Oxford colleges. And then in Cyprus, we, we found this really neat um, uh, rock on the beach, which is composed of all these different uh, rock deposits. And then, in uh, in Washington, Tierra's grandmother gave us. Um, she kind of hand makes these uh, ceramic souvenirs, and we got one of those. So we're trying to prioritize things which have a bit more meaning rather than just going to the souvenir shop and buying something tacky. Mm. And then from Kuwait, Kuwait, you uh, ended up pulling a one kilo dumbbell, didn't you? Yeah. No, I, I got Find an empty it. syringe bottle from Kuwait. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's perfect. When we get all of our DMs from our listeners who are Border Patrol officers, Jack's brought in some random rock, which is probably riddled with disease, and the Australian agriculture is about to be in the toilet. So, yeah, just uh, make sure you thank Jack, guys, when all of our farming is just going to responsible chaos. for global warming, basically. Oh, 100%. Yeah. We're all doomed. <laughs> all right, this one's for you, uh, Jack. Tips to manage cravings and hunger during prep. Yeah, so I feel like we've discussed this one a few times, but we'll go over the the major points again. I think it's it's worthwhile to to discuss these questions more regularly anyway, because we might have a different take to it. And also, of course, Lawrence is going through it now, so um, that always provides a different perspective. But I think just a few tips would be uh, trying to avoid food focus from the get-go. And there's a number of ways to do that, like keeping your meals relatively simple. And I think a a way of looking at or a different perspective for looking at your nutrition is you don't really want to be finish your meal wanting more. 
Whereas in the off season, you want to construct your food that so that you finish it, it's palatable and you really enjoy it and you finish it wanting more. Like that means that you've succeeded. And that's why in, in the off season, we would choose more highly palatable seasoning like herbs and spices and sauces, et cetera. Whereas in prep, like if you're kind of using all the culinary techniques at your disposal to make it taste amazing, then you're, you're potentially setting yourself up for having more food focus. So that's something to consider because um, I, I don't even bother using herbs and spices much in prep. Like I'll, I'll use a little bit of curry powder at dinner. Um, maybe I'll use a tiny bit of sweet chili sauce um, if I've got the macros for it. But other than that, I keep it pretty simple. So that's, I think that's a fairly more novel tip that I, we haven't talked too much about. But I'll, I'll let one of you guys sort of talk more about it as well. DC, do you have any like psychological, I guess, tips in terms of like the eating? I know Brandon Kempter used to be big on using the chopsticks on the back end of prep to slow down his eating times, the smaller spoons, smaller plates and so on like that. You got any that you used in prep? Mm, yeah, I, I, I think there was one time I tried to use chopsticks and it was for something that just is not viable to eat with chopsticks very well. So I just remember getting really frustrated and being like, this is ridiculous. Like, what am I doing? I have reverted to using a smaller spoon before just to try and like eat more slowly, that sort of thing. But I think honestly, one of the biggest strategies to, to manage mood food focus is stop exposing yourself to things that are only going to promote that, like following the Instagram pages, watching the shows on, you know, on Netflix, the chef show, like, you know, Nick Vantis, uh, all the stuff he does, like, you don't need to see that stuff. Like you, you start a prep, you're two months into it. You've got another four months left to go. You're going to be watching this stuff for another four months before you, you feel is like you can actually eat it. Like why put yourself through that, through that trauma? I think it's only going to exacerbate your food focus a whole lot. Like if you, let's say you have a block of chocolate or you're hoarding blocks of chocolate in your cupboard and every, every morning you're waking up and you're having to reach past those blocks to grab your container of oats to pour out your oats in the morning, like out of sight, out of mind. If it's not there, you're not going to think about it. So, mm. you know, these, these habits, which can, I mean, you'd be surprised how many competitors start to hoard things like blocks of chocolate, Doritos, chips, like all this crazy crap. And I would say well over 50%. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, hang on, those things are not going to go off the shelf. Like unless it's toilet paper or something like that, like it's going to be there. Right. <laughs> so I wouldn't be too unless concerned. With that. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be too concerned that your, you know, block of conventional dairy milk chocolate is not going to be there when they've been mm. there forever. <laughs> so like, you don't need to hold that stuff and it's only just going to exacerbate your food focus. So keep your foods palatable enough so that you enjoy them, but not again, just what you said, Jack, just not going crazy with vast amounts of seasonings and condiments and all those sorts of things, because I think a lot of competitors can start getting pretty hand heavy handed with that stuff as well. Like at the start of prep where you would have lightly salted your meals by the end of it, it's like, do you want some rice with that salt? Like it's, we're literally seeing like, like well, it's, it's, it's literally going to taste fantastic regardless of whether you season it or not at, by the end of prep. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know in the off season, it's different, but in prep you're, you're hungry enough to eat cardboard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, at the start, it's like a couple of clicks of the salt shaker. At the end, we're talking like 20 clicks. It's like you're starting, you're trying to start a friggin' Beyblade at that point, right? Like 
so it, it, it's it's just being able to recognize some of these behaviors that start to set in and being able to have sort of an out-of-body experience where you're like hang on like this is what i'm doing right now it's not really helping me in the long run perhaps i need to slightly change my strategy a little bit to to provide more assistance i also think you know a, a common point of practice is the implementation of like refeeds within a within a contest prep and i honestly think that refeeds should should allow you to be able to just eat a little bit more of the quantities of the foods that you're actually consuming on the regular with perhaps a few bits and pieces thrown in like rice cakes or you know things that might just help in bumping those carbohydrates up but i think if you use the refeed as an opportunity to just completely have a whole host of new meals every single week that can create food focus as well. It's like looking forward to that one point of flexibility, which may sound amazing, but I think people can get overboard with that sort of stuff. You know, all of a sudden they're throwing in just foods that they just have not really eaten as a whole, spending six hours window shopping at Coles to see what they can fit on that day. Like these are essentially some of the behaviors that that um, can start to make prep more challenging. So, yeah. I think one is uh, one that can help a lot of people is like trying to have a meal plan so then that way there's not that like i find like if people run that like if it fits your macros kind of approach they'll be sitting there and be like oh you know what i can have an ice cream today so then they put all these calories and macros into one ice cream and then at the detriment of the entire day so i definitely think like you know as you t transition into probably the pointier end of prep where especially like where lawrence probably is entering right now trying to stick to pretty much similar meals throughout the day and not trying to like try and fit these highly palatable meals in there, which, you know, might take up a very large allotment of your calories, especially like carbohydrates and fat. So the next thing you know, you're suffering throughout the entirety of the day. Um, but Hey, at least you got to have uh, one block of chocolate. What about you, Lawrence? You got any, are you currently utilizing any little tips and tricks? Well, I would say that everything you guys covered, I'm certainly utilizing to a certain degree, like particularly this prep, you know, from off season to start a prep to now, like my meals have looked very, very similar, just slowly reducing quantities of stuff. You know, I'm at the stage where I'm using a bit less cream of rice, like a bit less um, rice in my final meal and stuff like that. But I really haven't gone out of my way to include anything outside of the usual six to seven meals that I eat, apart from when you know, like there was one night where Gemma and I, I think it may have been like Saturday night. She was like, hey, let's like make something. Um, I think we made like burritos or something like that. So in those instances, it's like, you know, if I was a single guy by myself, I'm probably just going to eat the same thing. But, you know, that's also a good opportunity for Gemma and I to like, you know, do something a bit different. You know, I'm in prep, so we can't necessarily go out. So I'm happy to make those trade-offs because it's sort of, you know, it feeds another part of my life, which I think is worthwhile. But for the 99% of the time, it's just eating the same stuff. And I think that another thing that I've probably been guilty of, even as recently as my last prep, is, you know, going to things like sugar-free beverages. And I think that from the very get-go, even before I entered prep, because like, I just sort of like carbonated beverages. Like I like a Pepsi Max. So even in the off season, I'll have them every now and again. You get to the stage where you just don't want them because it's going to sit so heavy in your stomach. But I sort of told myself like, okay, in prep, I'm not going to overuse these because you can very easily get to the point where you're having like, you know, two, maybe even three Pepsi Maxes a day because it's just nice to taste something and have the the bubbles sit in your stomach. So from the very start of prep, I said to myself, okay, you're only allowed sort of one can of Pepsi Max or whatever it may be on a rest day. Every other day of the week, 
no, no go. Um, and interestingly enough, I spoke to my dentist about that. And she said from a dental hygiene standpoint, it's probably good to limit those carbonated beverages anyway. So that might be another thing that you want to consider. Um, and the other thing is things like, you know, sugar-free energy drinks, for example. And I actually put that up on my story this morning where that's another beverage that I like. Um, so at the moment, there's one day out of the week where it sort of suits me to have one of those, both from a caffeine perspective and because it is sort of like, you know, enjoyable, uh, but I'm only capping it at one. And rather than having like, you know, multiple sitting in the fridge all ready to go where I can just grab it, I'll keep the rest at sort of like the top of the pantry where they're warm and I'll only put it in the fridge like the day before so that I'm not tempted to have them on those other days. So I think that comes down to just the fact that like, to a certain extent, I think we do try and make prep easier at times but conversely we end up making it harder on ourselves because we know we're feeding our taste buds with these you know sort of sugary tasting things and and making those cravings worse so i think it just gets to the point where you gotta lean in a little bit like there will come a point where no matter what you do you will be hungry and no matter what you do you're probably going to have some cravings so you just have to suck it up at some point and, and stop trying to make it too easy. Um, because from my experience, you know, this is easily the the lowest my food focus has been and the, the least amount of cravings I've had at this point in prep. And I think a vast majority of that reason is because I've kept things very simple and I'm not trying to overdo these sort of little diet hacks and stuff like that. Mm, I think that's so true. I almost think there becomes a point where if the, the strategies that you begin using to try and make it easier makes it harder because I think like, for example, you know, starting to, to experiment with sugar-free stuff, sugar-free foods, uh, going crazy, crazy overboard with food volumes uh, can cause like a lot of disruptions with regards to GI tract. So getting immensely bloated, you know, reporting into coach, like coach, I'm just, I'm having all these gut issues, what's going on. Uh, and often I think in the off season, you'd be able to pick up what's, what's the case, like why, why this is the case. But in, in a contest prep, when we got our contest prep blinkers on often from an athlete perspective, it's harder to, to see these things and look at things with a little bit more of a rational mind, which is often why it is good to have a coach to be able to evaluate this sort of stuff. But it's like, okay, what have we changed recently? Have we added in more volume? Are we, we adding in sugar-free stuff? Are we drinking more caffeinated beverages or, or soft drinks, things like that? And, and I think often that point of reflection is like, okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. I have increased this sort of stuff. I need to kind of taper it down a little bit. I'm feeling really bloated. It's affecting my ability to train well. So it's like, yeah, basically just like you said, Lawrence, like embrace the suck is, is what it kind of gets to at some point. Tends to be like a little bit of like a U curve. It's like, you know, you can use a certain amount of dieting hacks to make it easier to an extent, but then once you go past that, it just kind of gets detrimental and then you just make it harder on yourself um yeah, next question um recommendations for courses slash fur further education for coaches do you have any in particular jack that you've done that you've really enjoyed uh like four and a half years at uni yeah i was about to say <laughs> uh, uh yeah I, I, that's an option of course is like a tertiary education at university and is it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> uh i think it's worth it yeah i think it's it's in foresight, or in, no, in hindsight, because it's behind me, I'm really glad I did it first thing out of high school. I can, I can imagine doing it. Like I'm still only 25 now, but I can, I'm, I can imagine doing it now would be more difficult, like socially and also from a financial standpoint, compared to right out of 
uh, high school when I was still living with my parents and stuff like that. But I I get a number of people asking me and and Tierra like on on our TBD account like I want to pursue the nutrition industry like what do you recommend and very rarely do I actually recommend going to university I usually recommend doing a course like sports nutrition association and like having a taste of that first because you still become sort of certified in nutrition um, but it's much more cost effective it's more time effective you can kind of dip your toes in see if you like it. And then from there, if you want to kind of specialize further, you can go do a university degree or take take your diploma further with with SNA. What about you, Lawrence? Now that you're an online trainer, what are your courses of choice? Oh, mate, I can't say that I've done too much PD as a as an online coach yet. Maybe that's uh, disappointing to hear. I think that you know, there's always you know elements where you're continuing to learn from people. And I think that, you know, sometimes podcasts and social media get a bit overlooked because I think a lot of us have learned a ton from those sort of snippets. But you always have to keep in mind that like, there's only so much you can cover on a Instagram reel, an Instagram post, an infographic. Then you have like the longer form stuff like podcasts and YouTube videos, but they're never really going to substitute for like a, an educational course that structures it for you. And it's interesting, like, you know, a lot of the times, whether you might have something like a master's degree or or just any degree in general, like often it's not so much as, you know, that information is being like safeguarded where no one can get it unless you've paid the whatever thousands of dollars to get into the course. Often that stuff is all there online. Like what you're paying for is the structure and the accountability and sort of the order to do it all in. Yeah. So I think that's the practical you application, know, I think. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So like, I mean, that's part of the reason why, you know, I'm very doubtful that I'd ever go back and do a, a master's degree in physiotherapy because I don't necessarily know how much more it would benefit me as a practitioner in terms of, you know, being able to see more people. Like a, a lot of people just don't care. Like I've never had a patient ask me if I have a master's as opposed to a bachelor's. And also like I'm I'm motivated and passionate enough about musculoskeletal physiotherapy to do that extra study on my own because I just genuinely enjoy doing it and I, I like learning more about it. But I think that if you're someone who, you know, is potentially lacking in a few areas, potentially those sort of extra courses is a good way to do it if you're not going to do it on your own steam. And that's no judgment because I think we're all different. Um, but yeah, I think that's something you need to weigh up. And all these things cost, which is another thing you need to consider. So I pretty much broke mine down into like, I guess, three sections. I did like educational websites. So something that wouldn't be as like structured as a course where I have gotten a lot of stuff off. For example, like the MB, uh, MBW website and the vault from 3DMJ, uh, like two probably of the best websites in terms of like natural bodybuilding or further development for a coach. Podcasts would probably have to be like Revive Stronger or Flex Success. Sorry, Jack. I'm joking. <laughs> bodybuilding dietitians as well um and then courses as well i'd probably also go <laughs> sorry lawrence um probably the iopn or the sna and one course that i haven't done but i think would be very good would be the n1 from casim as well i think um in terms of all the stuff that he does in terms of like exercise selection um that would be something i would probably go down further next do you have any further further dc Mm, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you guys have mostly covered covered it all, but 
uh, I do think that there's such an importance for like self-education, like continuing on with your own, your own PD, because I guess depending on, I guess, where you have your accreditation within, there is going to be some degree of PD that you need to uphold in order to continue practicing. Like for example, with SNA, you've got your, you know, yearly, uh, you know, multiple choice and case studies and things like that, that you need to do with, SR, they've got your 20 points of CD, uh, uh, you know, continual education that you have to do as well. Um, but I think aside from those, it's putting some practices into play that can allow you to continue to progress your, it, like in your own terms as well, not held accountable to perhaps their terms as well. So there's nothing wrong with, you know, researching weekly and, and things like that to upskill yourself. And I think a great resource would be something like mass as well monthly applications in um in strength sports i think would be fantastic to to get a membership with and at least you've got their uh you know pocket-sized bits of information that you can read and and digest that is written in a format that um you know mo most individuals can digest quite well so you know things like that and i think setting yourself time aside each week to actually do that that's something that i've had to really try to implement within my diary because it things it, it can get catch away from you in terms of time i'll go you know a week or two without reading something and i'm like hang on I, I need to prioritize this this still needs to be a staple within my week so i need to make sure that i'm reading a new research article something along those lines you know every week something along those lines so keeping yourself accountable to that i think is very important um and just yeah having having a list of resources just like we've all mentioned that that can be beneficial to do so I think within the fitness and like nutritional space as well, it moves so quickly. So I was like, you know, you do have a couple of weeks off and the next thing you know, Lawrence misses long muscle lengths and then he's all behind on the current literature and it's all downhill from there. Now in all seriousness, like, like, you know, there's so many studies on all kinds of things like diet breaks, like training and long muscle lengths. It's like, you know, you take a, you don't catch up with the current literature for a little while and you know, there's so much you might've missed out on. So very good yeah, point, but I, I would also say that's a downside as well because there's if if you don't have the skills to decipher new research a lot of that new research is way 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 too specific to draw conclusions for the, the population that you're actually working with so for example long muscle lengths like it's not at a stage yet where you would jump to start programming long like longer muscle length training for everyone so that's just one example. <laughs> don't don't say that and look at Lawrence right now. Well, that's what I, mean. I was I was looking behind me when I said that. Yeah. So. That's, that's what, what I you mean about everything. That's what I mean about signing signing up with something like mass, right? Is that yeah, exactly. you, you essentially have research reviews. It's you can definitely go and select the study and, and read it yourself, but you've got people who are writing about the study and, and breaking it down for you so that perhaps you can get uh its practical application, like its points of of pra a pra you know practical application from it, so I guess for those individuals that perhaps struggle with reading pure research, um, mm. because not everybody needs to research, read research to truly, uh, I guess, excel as a coach. You just need to read the right resources and be connected with the the appropriate uh, people that are going to deliver the information to you in a manner that's um, best practice. It doesn't mean every like every single you know coach out there needs to be diligently reading research articles every week, uh, but you know it can definitely help you. That's for sure. Uh, how long do you normally set aside for posing in prep, Jack? When you're doing like your classic routine and bodybuilding, I guess. 
Yeah, I think I think this will depend if you are starting from scratch or if you're got some posing experience under your belt. So for me and my prep, I'll probably aim to do run through like run through a routine once a day uh, for both bodybuilding and classic. So realistically, like that's probably what two minutes of posing, but and then. I'll probably set aside like a couple of times a week, maybe of a bit longer, 10, 15 minutes where I can then work on more individual aspects of the poses themselves and the routine themselves to just build that on. And personally for me, that works better than like once a week doing 60 minutes. I'd much rather do it, do it more frequently and just repeat it more often uh, rather than doing big chunkier sessions. What about you, DC? Because you somewhat started posing more at the start of a prep, I believe, and then tapered it off towards the back end. Didn't you? Yeah. As energy got lower? More, more, I guess more so whilst my energy was very high at the beginning of prep, I was I was very diligent to do like longer form uh, posing practice. So I went to like a lot of the posing workshops with ICN. I went to mo- like most of them every, you know, every, every Sunday, every weekend and they're hour long. So I'd be spending time in the the posing uh, section of of North Lakes World Gym, you know, doing posing for at least 15 to 20 minutes after most of my sessions. I found towards the later aspects, it was more challenging to to practice for longer stints, but I still definitely did. But just, I didn't go to, I stopped going to workshops towards the tail end. I just didn't have, I didn't have the energy, but I also was pretty confident in my posing at that point. I didn't feel like I would get anything more from them. Um, because I was practicing most, most days, but I would find that I started to, I guess I started to transition a little bit more from longer form posing that was less frequent throughout the week. For example, those posing, posing workshops and on rest days, implementing like an hour of posing. And then towards the tail end, it was almost like I was practicing posing every day, but they were like 15 minute, small, small chunks, kind of similar to what you, you mentioned, Jack. And I found that that was just easier to manage the energy side of things. But I think also towards the tail end, I was just more proficient with my posing. So I just didn't need to spend as much time to refine, if, if that makes sense. Lawrence, how are you going with posing? I remember last time when I talked to you in prep, you pretty much had like, um, I think it was like a voice memo or something on your phone, like a little recording. And it would be like, quarter turn, back lat spread. You still run on that? Yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. I still have a like a voice recording of me calling out the poses and then sort of allowing the desired amount of time that I want to hold it for. And then I call the next one. So I just hit play on that. And I think it probably takes me like five minutes to run through all of them, sort of holding each pose for like 15 to 20 seconds. It's generally never that long on stage, but I think if you can be, you know, comfortable holding for longer than you need to, then by the time they tell you to get out of the pose, you're still going to be fresh, um, which I think is a good way to do it. So at the moment I do one round on every day, except leg days. And then I'm also doing some vacuums as well um, every day, except leg days. And then from 10 weeks out, I'll probably keep the same thing with like having the leg days off from posing, but I'll just add in a second round on all the other days. And then my plan was from five weeks, I'll I'll do two rounds every day. Hopefully by then my vacuums are feeling very, pretty comfortable, um, you know, being able to hold them for like 25, 30 seconds at a time. And then I'll probably back those down to like, I don't know, two or three uh, 25 to 30 second holds daily. 
are you planning on giving Classic a run with all this vacuum practice? Are you taking Jack nah, Stewart? Mate. Nah, um, mate, I'll leave that to him. No, you, you know my thoughts on Classic. It's cool, but it's not for me. And and I also don't think that it's... I don't think I would suit it very well. Like, I don't think I have a, a particularly classic physique per se. So I think I will uh, just hang out with the bodybuilders, mate. And in terms of organizing everything for prep, have you booked your tan in or anything like that yet? So I haven't booked tans. I have been pretty good on the bookings, actually, just in terms of the amount that um, we've already locked in. That actually does remind me, I should probably think about ordering some trunks fairly soon. So thank you for giving me the heads up. But yeah, like we've booked a lot of flights, booked a lot of accommodation, but no, yet to book tans and all that. I'll probably get that sorted a little bit closer to the time. Um, probably at that sort of like five week out mark, just so that when I know like how I want to structure that day and things like that. But yeah, I had completely not thought about that. It's generally around the 10 week out mark that I like to order trunks and that sort of thing. So I'm still a bit undecided as to how many to get because I feel like, you know, WMBF Worlds is is so special. It probably deserves its its own fresh pair of trunks. So I think I might get like three I'd pairs get a this pair season for each time on stage. You reckon? Yeah. So if if you're doing three categories on one show, you'd you need at least three different pairs for that day. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Uh, are you going to oh, give so us yeah, the yeah. WMBF color, or is it going to be like full black and whited out? Like you know, you're going to have to drop it like when you oh, actually mate. go to the show day. Are you going to make you know us the rules. a suspense? Yeah. I won't even be posting physique updates from, from next week, mate. You know, we've got to keep it a secret. There's just yeah. so many people biting their fingernails, uh, wondering how, you know, some physiotherapist from the Redlands in Brisbane is going to look on stage this season. So, yeah, I'm like, see you, mate. We're going to go dark. I'll, I'll start posting pictures from like three weeks ago. Yeah. And Eric Helms is going to be shaking in his boots. He won't know what to expect. It's going to be like the dark night. Yeah, exactly, mate. No more updates on the podcast either. Full yeah. full Bane mode. Yeah. I was I'm born actually, in the dark. <laughs> I'm actually reversing in the show. I'll probably end up being on stage at 90 kgs lean. Have to throw yeah, him off his I'll game. I'll probably grow into it. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, yeah, dude, don't know what's happening. I'm just like throwing on muscle. I'm not sure what's going on. DC, in terms of your... Uh, female competitors when do you normally get them to organize like their tan their makeup and so on like that yeah usually i think earlier is earlier is better so i i would say getting close to that sort of three month out mark like 15 15 12 weeks somewhere around there i think is an idea to start thinking about times just because perhaps getting bikinis uh organized and, and, and designed might take a little bit longer than perhaps like men's trunks so getting to that sort of stuff sooner no doubt you're gonna have to go in potentially in for a sizing as well organize an appointment like that i think more is required for females when it comes to their uh, accessories tan and makeup so soon is better i always think around that i have a reminder for myself to start communicating to my athletes around organizing those sorts of things basically at the 15 week out mark which is rather early, but it's it's almost like a weekly point of conversation at that point. Okay, how are we going with organizing this, etc. Yeah, it, I find like with the, the tan and makeup, it's not that big of a deal. They'll normally always have a slot for you. So even if you are somewhat later, but I feel like sometimes the slot is very, very chaotic. And like, it's not a stress you want on like the back three, four weeks of prep. Like last thing you want to be worrying about is, well, the only slot they've got is 4.30 a.m., 
on the Saturday and your first div is at 12, it's like, they're going to have a spot for you, but it's probably not going to be the best spot and it's probably going to cause unwanted stress. So definitely getting in early, getting a good time slots are a good thing to do. That's it. Like that's, that's the sole reason I haven't had a competitor yet that hasn't been able to book in a time for their tan or their makeup and things like that. But I just, I think that sooner you get in, the more you can secure an appropriate time slot for yourself. And it just might make your morning a little bit less, less stressful, stress-free. You can turn up at the events when, when's desired. You've got a certain amount of hours out from then jumping on stage. Like the worst thing is needing to, you know, push down your one, one hour out meal and you're still getting your makeup done on show day, which could have been prevented if you just booked it a little bit earlier. 100%. It's one of them struggles that you don't want to have as a competitor on stage. One hour out, got to, got to get your meal in. You're sitting there half, your makeup's done. So get it, get it sorted around like that 12 to 14 weeks out. And I think you're going to be sitting quite comfortable. That's your little kick up the butt, Lawrence. Get your makeup sorted. Mate, 100%. I'll, um, I'm going to have my barber and my eyebrow girl on tap in those weeks leading up. So I'm going to be schmick. Perfect. Well, I think that's it for today, listeners. Thank you all for tuning in. Jack, it's a pleasure to have you back, mate. We'll catch you all next week. We'll be back. See you guys.